The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. But I don't know about you guys, but uh, this book has changed my life. I don't know if this book has changed anybody else here. Has this book changed your life? There's something so profound about this book. Um, it is timeless. It's spirit-breathed, the Bible says. God wrote it all. It's got authority for everything. It's without error. There are, you know, just so many lives changed through the substance of this book. Um, What's ironic about it is I was raised where uh, my family had one of these, a big, thick, white one, and it sat in the corner, and no one ever touched it. You weren't allowed to touch it. You weren't allowed to look at it. Did anybody have one of those in their family? You don't look at it, you don't touch it, just leave it alone, and it sits right there. And it was a gift, apparently, but you never opened it or anything. And what was crazy about this is, uh, as I got older, I finally got a Bible, and I started to get into it, and I was thinking, are you kidding me? This is explosive. This has got so much life in it. Why didn't anyone break this out earlier? This is like a best-kept secret. You know, it's got all this revelation of God. It's got so much profound insight, direction, clarity, hope, future, purpose. And it was sitting on a shelf, never opened. And so this book is so amazing. And quite simply, if you were to ask people, what is the Bible about? What's the summary? Many would say, well, it's this. It's God made us and God loves us, but we rebelled. And if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been us. Amen? Would we all agree on that? We rebelled, but God loved us so much, he provided restoration. And then he also, through Jesus Christ, the restoration, he gives us the fullest life possible here on this planet and eternity later. And this is the basic summary of the Bible, and it's profound because it's got so much wisdom, so much insight, so much prophecy, so much revelation of what was and what is and what is to come. I don't know who would ever want to miss out on it, but the topic of this Bible and, and what's in it and what does it mean has been a profound one over the ages. In fact, They came to Jesus and they said, out of everything in this, everything in this, specifically it was the Old Testament at the time, out of everything in God's word, what is the most important thing? And he said, I'll answer that for you. It's very simple. Out of the entire Bible, what is the most important thing? It's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting. They asked, what is the one most important thing, and Jesus said it's these two things. These are the most important things, loving God and loving others. Part of your faith is vertical, loving God, and part of it is horizontal, loving others. And God showed us that through Jesus. So uh, this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to build on that theme as we go through the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew 25, if you have your Bible or you uh, read your word on the phone, however you uh, read your word. But Matthew 25, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going through this gospel of Matthew, and it's been really profound. Uh, The setup is this. They've been asking Jesus lately, uh, what's it going to be like when you return? How will we know? What will be the signs? What are we going to be looking for? And Jesus just explained all these things about the way it's going to go down timing-wise, that no one knows the day or the hour, but we can know the signs and the seasons. And he's like, here's some of the signs and seasons so you will know and recognize these things. Don't be alarmed. Actually, be very confident because you guys have revelation and insight 
on the things to come. And he says, these are going to be some of the things. But today he's going to move into, uh, there's going to be actually, at the end when I come back, there's actually going to be a, a great separation. Uh, a separation is going to happen. Now, Jesus, when he came into the world, he said very specifically, I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to give life. He didn't come to judge, but we do know Jesus 2.0. Everyone say 2.0. He's going to come back and judge the living and the dead. He came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. Bible's really clear on that. There is a 2.0, the return of Jesus, and that's what he's talking about today. And he talks about this great separation. And the Bible uses a lot of terms referring to this great separation. One that you're familiar with is the wheat and the chaff, separating the wheat from the chaff. Uh, some translations will say the wheat and the tares, uh, the things that grow up and choke out the wheat. Uh, another one, which he's going to refer to today, is the sheep and the goats. And the Bible's got a lot of these uh, analogies that explain this separation uh, that is to come. And the, what he just taught about last week is that many actually like the idea of heaven. Many actually like the idea of getting into heaven. Many actually think and assume that they are going to heaven, but don't actually follow Jesus. So last week's parable was exactly that. It was the parable of the ten virgins, and they all assume they're getting in, but they had no oil in their lamps, half of them. No oil in the lamps means the Spirit of God is not in their life. And without the Spirit of God in our life, we can't get in. So many of them assumed and just thought, hey, when heaven comes, I'm in. And Jesus is like, it doesn't work that way. The Spirit of God's in your life. You have oil in your lamp. You're getting in. When I come back, I'm looking for things, Jesus is saying, and there will be some proofs. There will be some evidences. There will be some uh, tangible things that will determine that. So today he is going to build on how will we know, how will we know if we are the kind of people who have eternity. Now, how many of you know salvation is a free gift of grace, right? It's not by works. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We don't deserve it. It's freely offered. So we confess with our heart and believe in, confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says, and then we are saved. We have eternity. But the question we've been looking at lately is many are going to say, yes, I believe, uh, I believe in my heart and confess with my lips that he's Lord, but on the final day, some are going to say, Lord, Lord, and God's going to say, I didn't know you that way. I was never really your Lord. And so we really do know if Jesus is our Lord, and we really do know if he's not our Lord. It's not just the idea or the principle about him being the Lord. It's about him really being the Lord. So there's some clear like evidences in our lives um, that, that we'll, we'll come to terms with. And so today, he's talking about how you and I will be known by our fruit, specifically the fruit of love. Everyone say the fruit of love. The fruit of love. He says, when I come back, I will be looking when I do this separation, and I'm looking for love. He's looking for love. And so today we're going to see that as the key evidence of what love really looks like, according to Jesus, when he comes back. Again, he's building on Matthew 25. So if you have your Bible, let's jump in. We're going to pick up in verse 31 where we left off. And it says this. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side and the goats on his left. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? Uh, When did we see you sick or in prison, or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Uh, This is a profound passage. He's going to build on this theme, this heart of what he's looking for, uh, what he expects to see in his sons and daughters of God, the believers of God. But he's teaching, and he's focusing on his return. And it says right here, when he returns in glory, and all the passages leading up to this have been talking about his return in glory. When he comes back, With the angels, it'll be profound. Everyone in the world will recognize it. Everyone will be stunned because they will not be ready, the Bible says. The Bible says it's like a thief coming at night. People will not be ready. They'll say, oh man, I had no idea it was now. Like I thought I would have a lot of indication to get ready. And when it comes, Jesus said it's going to be quick and immediate. And and so he's going to come back surrounded by glory. And then there's going to be this great judgment and a great separation. And here's the deal. It will be so obvious to the Lord. Uh, he's not going to have to sit and go, hmm, yeah, I'm trying to really figure where you're at here. You know, I'm just, I'm not really sure. I'm still trying to, I'm trying to get you. I'm just still trying. No, that's not what it's going to be. The same way that a shepherd can go, this is clearly a goat. This is clearly a sheep, clearly a goat, clearly a sheep. So clearly, so clearly, so clearly. In the same way, the son of man will be able to separate the same way. And what he's saying is that the sheep are going to go to the right. Now, people are going to go to the left and go to the right. When we talk about left and right, we are not talking about politics. Um, With politics, people can change whether they're on the right or the left. But when this happens, there's no time for changing. When this happens, you're either on the right or you're on the left. When he returns, there's no time for a change. This is what the Bible's saying. And and so on the right, on the right, he's going to put the sheep. And on the left, he's going to put the goats. And the right ones, he says, you get to enter the kingdom. And here's what's so cool about this. He said, I've had this kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. And that's just a baffling concept right there, that God's plan for you and me from the beginning of eternity was to be with him in eternity. Sin came along, it messed up the program. God had a restoration plan. And God in his sovereignty says, when you get into this inheritance, it's what I had planned for you from the very beginning, which I think is monumental. It's an amazing thing. But the ones that are on the right, listen to this, the ones that are the sheep, he, the passage calls them the righteous. Everyone says the righteous. Here's the thing about the righteous. In this context, he's not talking about the righteous because of what they think, and he's not talking about the righteous because what they believe. Now, we know in the Bible in Romans, we're declared righteous through Jesus, through our faith in him. Yes, these things are true. But that's not the way this passage is using the term righteous at all. The way this passage is using the term righteous is not righteous in your thought or your belief. This is saying righteous in your lifestyle, righteous in your action. 
Now, a lot of people don't think of righteousness as far as an action. A lot of Christians think, well, righteousness is something that he gave me, so I just got it. So I just kick back now because God gave me righteousness. And some kind of present it that way that, hey, this, your righteousness is already given to you and it's imparted. Yes, that's true. But missing out on a glaring reality like this one here, the ones in the story that he's referring to as the righteous are ones with a righteous lifestyle and a righteous life in action. And so if you're a note taker, I encourage you to write down just a few key things today that will help you understand God's kingdom better, help you understand your place in his kingdom and his heart for his sons and daughters. And the first one is this, Jesus is looking for a righteous lifestyle. He's looking for a righteous lifestyle. In the book of Romans, he's imparted a righteousness to us positionally. That is our position. That is the way we are viewed. Positionally, that's how we are. We have a, a bank account in heaven that's overflowing that we didn't make a deposit, but Jesus made it for you. That's an imparted righteousness that is true. That is a sound part of our doctrine and, and Romans explains that in detail. But he's talking about here when he comes back, he wants to see a righteous lifestyle. He wants to see righteousness in action. He, he expects to see us walking out a righteousness, not just saying, well, I didn't walk it out, but I do believe in it. He's expecting to see us walk something out, a display in our life. So Jesus is clearly looking for the righteous lifestyle, and the ones that he sees it in gets a reward. There is an observation to be made, and we can't miss that in the passage right here. He tells us that these people, these righteous ones, they get to go to heaven. Uh, and last week, just like the, the, the women with the oil in their lamps, if they had the oil, they get in heaven. The other ones who like the idea of heaven but have no oil, they don't have the Holy Spirit in their life, they didn't go to heaven. So there are, Jesus is saying back-to-back passages, there is proof, there is evidence in the life of a believer, not the work that gets you there, but there is an evidence of the reality on the inside. And that's why James took this kind of passage very personally. James, who wrote the book of James, took a very vested interest in this kind of thing. Not just righteous belief. Yes, sound doctrine tells us we need to understand righteousness. However, James is obviously ha- takes issue with those who say, yes, I'm declared righteous by the Lord and I'm all good, but there is no action in their life. There's no motion in their life. There is no uh, m- movement in their life. There's no lifestyle in, in their life that has any evidence of it. And that's why James says, listen, you say you have faith, but show me your works. He says, because faith without works is dead. And it sounds like he's talking to a group of believers who have no motion in their life. So Jesus is building on this theme. When I come back, motion will be an evidence. There will be clearly an evidence of motion and movement and lifestyle in the life of Christ followers. And so uh, this week he's saying there's more proof. And the proof this week is this, the question, the glaring question, is God's love really in us? I mean, is God's love really in us, because he's talking about loving here. Uh, I don't know if you've figured this out like I have, but I I would say it's really hard to love that way. Can I get a witness? It's hard to love this way, what he's talking about. It's hard to love that way. How how many of you know some people are not that easy to love? Can I get a witness? Okay. (laughs) But that's the kind of love this is talking about. So we go, how do I pull off this kind of love? Like, Do I get psyched up? How do I get pumped up for it? And we're going to see in a minute. No, it's none of those things. But God is love. And when God's love is in us and we get filled with God's love, 
there's an evidence of an outflow. And if you're like me, you have to go back to the source again and again and again to get filled with God's love because you and I do not have the capacity to pour out this kind of love. Jesus told a woman at the well who was looking for love in all the wrong places, saying, ma'am, I've got love for you, living water that will flow out of you. She's like, that sounds like something I've been looking for my whole life. He's like, the, the living water I give you will flow out of you. In other words, through relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, there is living water, there's a capacity, a flow that you and I can't create or conjure up on our own. We can never pull it off. We can never just get pumped up and try to serve or love this way. But the outflow of God in our life actually will give us the capacity to do that. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But if, is God's love really in us is the glaring, glaring question. And when I read a passage like this, it reminds me to keep going back to the source because I need more of it so I can pour out. I trust you feel the same way. If God's love is in us, if it is in us, it is marked by how we love others. That's what he's saying. If God's love is in us, then it's marked by some sort of display, specifically what we do for others. So our second point this morning is this. Jesus is saying, if you love me, show me by loving them. If you love me, show me by loving them, by loving others. If you really love me, show me by loving others. And again, that's a part that a lot of us would like to be exempt from. No, God, it's just me and you. I love you. You get me, God. <laughs> you get me. I get you. We're good, right? We're good. Me and you, God, we drive together. We do everything together. You were good, God, right? But others, that's where people want to take a step back. And God's like, no, the, the love that we talked about is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It is a vertical kingdom and a horizontal kingdom at the same time. And that's the expectation of of the Father is not just that we look to Him. Yes, we do, but we represent as well. And that's clearly what Jesus is saying. Christ followers will have this evidence in their life if faith is really genuine. genuine. Specifically in this passage, he's talking about people in need. People in need. Everyone he points out here in this passage are people in need, very specifically. And I think it's because sometimes when people are in need, they could feel really hopeless. Uh, they don't have a hope in a future or they don't believe they do. A lot of people feel pretty worthless when they're in this kind of level of need. I've done a lot of prison ministry. You go in there and some people are doing double stretch, double life stretches and they're like, there's no hope. There's no future. They got nothing to live for until they hear the gospel. And then people get really fired up and they start living with a hope in a future. But the point is there are many people who don't live with hope. A lot of people who feel worthless. And Jesus is saying, I'm talking about these people in need. To me, they're not worthless. They're so valuable. And I see a hope and a future for them, even if they don't see it for themselves. And if you would love them, then they'll wake up to that reality. So please represent me. Please go love them wherever they're at. And that represents me. That's what he's saying to do in this passage. Um, a great summary of this text is in 1 John 4, 7, and we have it for the board up here, but um, for the screen. But this is what John writes, and this is a great summary of exactly what we're talking about, the kingdom of God, the substance of it, and how this kingdom works out. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
He's saying that if we are in him, if we're truly connected, again, not the concept of God, not the concept that there is a God, not the concept that of all the world religions, yeah, the one of the cross makes the most sense, I'll choose that one. No, not those things. But if we are in God, if we're in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, genuinely, then there's a connection. And the God of love has an overflow effect in us, and that's what he's talking about. There's a proof, there's an evidence, there's an outflow of God's love out of our lives, into the lives of others, if there is that uh, connection. And on that final day, some on this planet will have that evidence, and some on this planet will not have that evidence. And that's what he's talking about here. In fact, he builds on that exact theme right now in verse 41. He says in verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. He says a couple of glaring things we can't miss here. Uh, Whatever you did, uh, you did for me, uh, but whatever you did not do, uh, you did not do for me. That's a glaring theme in this story. And what it appears to be, and this is something that we need to look at a little closer, it seems that these people, they just simply never saw Jesus. They didn't see Jesus because they didn't know Jesus. How many of you know, if you know Jesus, you begin to see him? If you know Jesus, you begin to get familiar with his ways. If you know Jesus, you get a little connected to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life saying, psst, psst, go over this way. Psst, psst, go talk to this person. Psst, go over here and lay hands on this person. Go share the gospel with this one. When you're in relationship with Jesus, this is the natural outflow. The Bible says there will be a voice behind you saying, this is the way to go. Walk in it. This is a promise of God that the Spirit will lead and guide and we begin to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. And when we stay in step with the Holy Spirit, we start walking out the ministry of Jesus on earth by design. Greater things will you do. You and I are supposed to walk in the ministry as we go ye therefore and as the Spirit leads us, We start becoming God's solution in places and corners of the earth that need Jesus represented. But there are some, they don't even know him. And since they don't know him, they don't hear him. And since they don't hear him, they don't walk in anything. And these are the clear evidences. This is not as much about what people did as as much as it is a natural evidence that comes out of those who who believe, uh, those who are truly, truly, truly connected. Um, It says this in Mark 9. 41, on this premise of representing Jesus, which he's expecting his people, his sons and daughters to do, says in Mark 9, 41, truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And I just want to stress this because Jesus is saying in my name. Would you guys repeat that with me? One more time. In In my name matters to God in my name should matter to us. He doesn't say if you do these things in the goodwill of humanity. There's a lot of people who, who, who might receive something and say, hey, today's my lucky day. 
uh, they might say, wow, the stars are lining up for me right now. That's really cool. Uh, if you go by and you give someone a sandwich, you give, they might say, wow, it's just my lucky day. It's just good fortune. No, it isn't any of those things. It's Jesus. I'm giving you this in Jesus' name. So when you give, you give in Jesus' name. When you minister, you minister in Jesus' name. When you serve, you serve in Jesus' name. When you give, you give in Jesus' name. Jesus said, what you do in my name, what you do in my name, you will not lose your reward. See, the bottom line is this. If, if, if we give something, uh, that's nice that somebody's help, but guess what? If we don't give in Jesus' name, how does Jesus get the glory? How does Jesus get the glory? You know? Uh, they might think, hey, the stars lined up, or it was my good fortune, or it was just my lucky day. No, none of those things are true. The love of Jesus compels me, amen? The love of Jesus compels me and compels you, or so it should by design. The love of Jesus is supposed to compel us. When you look up that word in the Greek, it's, it, it means a few things. It means to actually steer us and control us from the inside. So sometimes the love of Jesus restrains us. Don't say that right now. Okay, God, I hear you. Constrains us. And sometimes the love of Jesus is compelling us, pushing us into things, steering us into things, and mobilizing us into things. But according to Scripture, in the relationship we have with him, the love of Jesus compels and motivates us into action and into, into movement. Um, here's, here's the thing. The problem for a lot of us, and I share this myself, guys. I don't claim to have the kingdom down. I'm a student of God's word, and the Bible says I have to be learning my whole life. I claim, don't claim to have anything down before you here. I'm committed to the journey. I'm committed to the call. I'm committed to the kingdom. I'm committed to sharing and helping to mobilize others. But he says right here, some of the problem in this passage is that we don't usually see Jesus. That is a problem. We don't usually see Jesus. Now, I think we would all admit if we walked out the door today, right outside this door, and on the porch, literally we saw Jesus Christ, like literally the way we picture him from the Bible, like in the robe from first century Galilee, right? If we saw Jesus Christ outside the door and we're like, oh my goodness, this is Jesus, and he says, he says I'm hungry, do you got something to eat? We would stop, how many of you would stop and do anything you could to get him something to eat? How many of you would not? How many of you would stop and get him something to eat? Of course you would, because it's Jesus, if you recognize Jesus, you would do it in a second. The problem is we don't often see Jesus in other people. We don't. We see people that are difficult. We see people that are a problem. We see people that are going to take time. We see all these circumstances in our life. I get it. That's what it comes to. Um, Mother Teresa said this. She said, they asked Mother Teresa, how, how did you do what you did? And she said this. She says, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. I must take care of him. She says, I serve because I love Jesus. So she found a way to see Jesus in people. And many of us don't, don't do that. In fact, if the worship team could come up, that would be great. Um, but what I want to say about this, guys, is we have to pray, Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I might see you. Because, Lord, I'm not really seeing you in people, God. I want to start seeing you. And it's going to start with a compassion. You know, I've been praying this prayer for a long time. God, bring revival. We're crying out for revival. We're crying out for God to move in our city, to move in our town, to move in our communities. 
And I got to tell you something he's been doing in my life. He's starting to break my heart for things that didn't used to break my heart. Like I'm talking to people or a neighbor or something like that. And as they're sharing their story, I'm starting to get like broken where normally I'm listening and I'm trying to weigh out. That's a bummer. How can I pray for you? Uh, but, but, but he's starting to break me more because I think that, guys, if we don't begin to feel this, if we don't get to feel the pain and the weight of others, we won't minister to them. You realize that? If you don't feel what they feel, you won't be compelled to minister to them. It'll be us and them. It'll be my life and their life. But Jesus saw people, and he saw them as harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. And he's like, man, and he was burdened for that. He felt their needs. He felt their pain. And, and I think when it comes to walking this out and needs, it's like, Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours. Amen? Isn't that what this is saying? So we can pray for revival and think it's just going to come like it's going to fall from the sky and it's going to flip our city upside down. But I think what you've seen historically with revivals is people saying, God, break our heart for what breaks yours and give us the faith to step into it. Amen? That's usually where things start to shift, start to change. Here's our last couple of points this morning. Third point is this. If we look for Jesus' opportunities, we will find them. They're all over. If we look for them, we will find them. Uh, if we don't look for them, we won't. Um, you know, racehorses, sometimes they run with those blinders on. And they run with the blinders on because they don't want to see anything else but what's in front of them. They do that for an intention. But Jesus isn't saying, live your life with blinders on. Jesus is saying, open, pray to op- that God would open the eyes of your heart, that we might see. See the things we don't see. See the blind spots. See beyond the blind spots that we have. And the last point is simply this, guys. Jesus is calling us out of our seats and into the streets. He's calling all of us for this display in our life. Out of our seats and into the streets. That for you might be out of your seat. And when you're at the gym, take your earbuds off and start talking to the dude next to you. It might be ladies at Trader Joe's when you're going through the line to look someone straight in the eye and say, you know what? God loves you, and is there any way I could pray for you? And they're like, I can't even believe you're asking that. Do you have any idea what I'm going through right now? No, I just felt compelled to ask. This, we got to start walking in something. We got to get out of our seats and into the streets. And this is where you see, this isn't about you and I changing the world, but it's changing the world around us. It's about loving our neighbor, those who are nigh to us. That's where the old English word comes from. Love your neighbor, love those who are nigh to you, love those who are near to you. God put people all around you in all kinds of circumstances and he's expecting sons and daughters to begin to walk this kind of stuff out. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says that. The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ controls me. The love of Christ constrains me when it needs to. And you might be saying, look, maybe that's my problem. I believe, but I... My level of love is running a little low right now. Maybe you would say that. On my tank, my fuel tank, spiritually speaking of love, my capacity to love others is running low. I will tell you what the direct correlation of that is. Because when I'm like this, I need to keep running back to the source. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is what? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Some would say the other fruits are an explanation of that love. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So 
if we are in Christ and we're in communion with him and we're staying connected and we have a devotional lifestyle and we're in his word and we're truly connected in a lifestyle with him, the fruit of the spirit is love. It's a natural overflow in our life that if God is love and if we are in him, he's in us, love will be the outflow. Jesus said, apart from me, we need to all know this, guys, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can only love in my love. God gives us the capacity to love. It's not by strength or by might. It's by the power of my spirit, says the Lord. And Jesus said, you can't produce any fruit outside of me. It won't work. You can't get psyched up, pumped up, anything. Read a few books and you're good. You've got to stay connected to the true vine. You've got to be abiding in Christ. And whenever I find I'm lacking that love, I've got to keep going back and go, Jesus, I need to connect better with you because when I connect with you, that's where the love comes. And when the love's running low, there's obviously something going on with this connection. So what I would encourage you guys, the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you are lacking this kind of love, it's a time to press in. Gentlemen, come up on the hill this Saturday for those of you who need a, a, a little boost of, of love. If you need one of those resuscitations, uh, the love of God, let God fire you back up again. Ladies, plug in, be committed, get devoted to Jesus, connect with the true vine, abide, and love will have an outflow in your life. We all run low on this, and I believe the, the fruit in our lives sometimes is at a higher level and sometimes at a lower level, but Jesus is saying, when I come back, I'm looking for love, and I expect my kids, my sons and daughters to walk out my love uh, in their environment. And so I want to close in prayer and ask God to seal some of this in our heart right now. If you guys would stand with me, why don't we stand together and we'll just ask God to do something in our lives right now today. Uh, Mighty God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray, Lord, for uh, this love. We can't make this up. You are love, God. God so loved the whole world. He sent his only son. It all came from love. You loved us before we could ever love you back. I pray that your love would be manifest in our lives, God. I pray you would turn up the thermostat of your love, that through intimacy with you, through connecting with you, through fellowship with you, the fruit of the Spirit, specifically love, would be manifest in our life, that we would, in fact, love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we would, in fact, love our neighbor as ourselves, God, that the love of Christ would compel us, God, compel us with your love, constrain us with your love, motivate us with your love, put us in action through your love, God. I pray mobilize us through your love, God. I pray that when we look at people, we would see you in them. We would see your heart for them. We would feel your heart for them, God. We begin to get out of our seats and into the streets, God. You begin to stir us with a new love and a new passion uh, for others around us. We wouldn't just be living our life hoping we get by with our stuff, and our prayers get answered, we'd start saying, how do we represent you, Jesus? How do we walk in the bigger things of the kingdom? How do we represent God? How do we bear fruit through you, God? I pray we would aim higher at these things because it gets glorious in this zone right here, God. I pray for all of that in in, in this room, God. I pray for all of that. Lord, if there's any who have not said yes to you, uh, today would be the day. And if you're saying yes to King Jesus, I don't mean as believing that he came, but to make him the Lord of your life, then just tell him that in the privacy of your own heart, saying, King Jesus, I believe, I get off the throne, and today I'm putting you on it. September 1st, I'll never forget the day. I am got off the throne, and I'm putting you on it. I don't have to labor any longer. You labored for me, 
I'm getting off the throne and putting you on on this Labor Day. Thank you for the price you paid for me. I could never pay for myself. God, give me a hope and a future. I believe you died. I believe you rose. Show me how to walk with you and follow you and grow in you and represent you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. If anyone prayed that prayer, come up and see our prayer team. It's coming up to pray for any need, amen. Any need, any burden, any request you have, anything. Our prayer team is coming up here to pray for you. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.